Hello everybody, my name is Ron, and this is Ron's Gadget Talk for Thursday, 19th of November, 2020. Today's episode, we got plenty of things to talk about. Lots and lots of smartphone news and much, much more. And um, and uh, we have plenty of stuff about smartphones to talk about. Well, the new Macs have already been out, and benchmarks, well, as I expected, the M1 has been outperforming some Intel CPUs by a mile. Uh, that's that, and um, and game streaming service is now going to hit iOS with an interesting technique, and the new Wonder Woman is going to be out, is also going to be coming to theaters and streaming. That's interesting. We're going to talk about that all in today's episode, so let's just get right into it. I'm going to talk about phones now. Let's get into it. So we've talked in depth about Realme, and they've released their 7 series already on the world, and now they've released a 5G variant of the Realme 7. Uh, so, um, interesting fact is the only Realme 7 5G, uh, has 5G connectivity, which is pretty dope, but it brings in the MediaTek Dimensity 800U SoC, allowing it to do dual SIM 5G without a problem. Um, I think we talked about the 800U earlier. Oh, well. So, you got 120 gigabytes of storage, 6 or 8 gigabytes of RAM, a 6.5 inch, uh, LCD display with 120Hz refresh rate, 60Mpixel selfie camera, 30W fast charging, 48Mpixel camera, everything, every good feature in a mid-range phone, but you get 5G connectivity out of the gate, again thanks to that MediaTek chipset, and obviously it'll come with Realme UI, and obviously, and uh, all these really cool features, the, the biggest difference really is that this variant of the Realme uh, 7, sort of, flat, so sort of main, the, sort of the flag-bearing phone of Realme, it has 5G connectivity built right in, so you can get those blazing speeds. Obviously, no mention of millimeter wave 5G, so it'll probably be mid-band 5G out of the gate. And uh, this and all will start roughly, and to get this, this is a sticker, sticker shocking price, 280 quid, 280 British pounds, or $368 out of the gate, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, this is going to be Europe only from the get-go. In fact, Realme is, is setting its sights on selling this phone in Europe first because in Asia, mostly most of Asia, 5G networks haven't gone online except for China or even Japan. Uh, in South Asia, primarily, where Realme is a big brand in Pakistan and India right now, uh, for, I mean, regulators in both countries are yet to sell Spectrum, even though providers in both countries have tested the service, have, have gone ready for 5G, but obviously regulars aren't like, we haven't sold the bands yet, so don't launch the service, so, yeah. So, uh, you're all able to get this if you're in South Asia. You could import it, obviously, from China, but uh, you'll have to wait. But hopefully, in the next few years, you'll get a 5G Realme phone if you live in South Asia, or probably get one from Europe and get the 5G service. So that was the Realme 7 5G. I mean, it's the Realme 7, but it comes with a MediaTek chip that can do 5G out of the gate. All this on under three hundred dollars, which is under three hundred fifty dollars, which is not freaking bad. Moving on, uh, Redmi, uh, Xiaomi's sort of sub brand, they've just uh, claimed they just posted recently that um, that uh, Xiaomi's moved a hundred, well over, well over a hundred and forty million Redmi Note phones this year. And obviously, uh, the Redmi Note 8 has been the second best-selling phone out there, even though it wasn't really. It was. It, I mean, it did. It wasn't really on the store shelves for a year before the Redmi Note 9 came out. Um, uh, I mean, uh, but the fact that they've sold 104, moved 140 million uh, 
Redmi Note phones is kind of interesting. It tells it speaks to the immense power of of the brand and uh, the Redmi brand, really the competitiveness of it, uh, price wise, which is kind of interesting to say the least. I mean, they're quite competitive on price from the looks of it, and um, it's just it just it's in, it's kind of interesting um, to say the least. So um, I mean, good on them, good on Xiaomi that they've pushed out 140 million uh, phones that's not an easy feat in the smartphone industry against all circumstances so uh, that was something interesting to point out Huawei uh, has designed its uh, very own high silicon chip based computer uh, this is an interesting thing pretty much apparently according to I don't know who leaked it really but um, apparently uh, Huawei have designed their very own computer. Um, so a, a a computer has been shipped out to users, uh, and it has this. Uh, and it's apparently called the Mate Station B five one five. They created an enterprise grade computer, and so it's powered by an ARM processor, the Kung Peng nine twenty. It's developed high silicon, fed by a TSMC at a seven nanometer process, and. Um, the mate station uh, B515 comes with four or eight cores clocked at 2.6 gigahertz. It can support up to 64 gigabytes of RAM, which is kind of cool. It can connect up to six SATA 3.0 drives for mass storage. It's a bit like a Windows computer, except it kind of is like that. And, um, and um, interestingly, it's, it packs a Radeon GPU, which is kind of cool. So overall, the motherboard inside this Huawei desktop PC has one 16 PCI 3.0 x16 slot, four USB 3 ports, two USB 2 ports, two NICs for gigabit Ethernet, uh, and overall um, it has a, it comes a monitor, it basically, it looks like a workstation meant for businesses, so meant for business use, I mean, it, I mean it's a desktop PC competing with Dell and HP kind of workstations and primarily it looks like it's for China only from the looks of it uh, it doesn't look obvious that they're gonna take it around the world but it looks top-notch I mean I, I mean if you close your if you remove the Huawei logo mistaking looks like an HP workstation so the, the overall computer is roughly 8 liters so it's a typical workstation and um, you get a 1080p monitor, full HD monitor with it out of the gate. It's kind of interesting that Huawei has made their own computers now, especially more so with a with their own design silicon. Huawei has been making their own chips for a long time. We all know that as an open well as an open fact. Uh, but this is interesting that there is that they've made one with um, they've made one with with their own sort of uh, with their own design and chips like this is how far ahead they really are technically Huawei makes a lot of things that's uh, Huawei pretty much makes a lot of things that's interesting so yeah I mean uh, and again this next story will be kind of crazy that's for sure so yeah shocker 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 breaking news breaking news Okay, I, I, okay, let's screw the legendary music. I don't don't have the copyright to that, but oh well, I hummed already. So, uh, breaking news: uh, the OnePlus Nord N100 has a 90 hertz display. Shocker, shocker! Uh, just imagine a phone. I mean, imagine buying a phone 
and then getting a something a little faster than what was written on the box. This is what exactly happened with the OnePlus Nord N100. So, a lot of reports came out, a lot of folks have kind of sh stated this, that, um, <clears throat> alright, so what kind of happened, let's just cut to the chase here. OnePlus released a bunch of new cheaper Nord smartphones, the N10 and the N100, and we talked in the previous episode, and we and I kind of brought up the point that the N10 has a 90Hz display, whereas the N100 only has a 60Hz display, and a 60Hz display is only possible because they're able to bring the price down. But guess what happened? A bunch of folks bought a N100, and when they got the settings, they mistakenly found out that the N90, the, that the N100, I was saying N90, the N100 has a 90Hz display. Now that's a... I don't know about you. I mean, they now they, and they didn't brag about the fluid display or the has it has a butter smooth display, and that it's good for that at a hundred or so pounds or something. I mean, um, essentially, uh, I mean, it it suddenly came with a ninety hertz display. Shocker, shocker. <laughs> it really is shocking because, uh, I mean, a brand like OnePlus literally. I mean, brought a product and then it had a feature it could do. It's more capable than what was written on the box. It's kind of either under power, under the pretty much bit of an underdog, I'd say. So it's quite shocking, uh, to say the least, that OnePlus has brought a phone that essentially, I mean, it said it did at sixty frame, uh, sixty hertz out of the gate, but it could do ninety hertz. Now I'm not surprised really. Turns out, I mean, this is Android Authority's report a bit on this, and they've claimed that apparently the N100 is very clearly a rebranded Oppo A53. That's bananas. I mean, if if that actually, if if OnePlus is running out and rebadging Oppos, especially for their Nord phones, that's crazy. But um, talk about you know trying to add more value. Um, but um, it's interesting, and, and now now OnePlus was like now OnePlus did kind of um, state this sort of. Um, they first said it was a sixty hertz, but then a lot of units been shipped this ninety hertz display, and so uh, OnePlus has kind of broken its silence and stated that the N one hundred is equipped in a ninety hertz display. Actual refresh rate depends on settings, application use, u applications used, and processing limitations. Which means that OnePlus is like, well, yeah, it now has a fluid display. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's also shocking now that every if the N100 has a 90 hertz display, and then let's say the N10 has a, let's see, the, uh, what display the N10 does? Uh, what display? What's how fast does the N10's display run at? Um, I mean, this is gonna be bananas if, um, I mean. Uh, Oh my god. Well, looks like uh looks like someone at OnePlus were like uh, y'all are marketing about fluid displays put on every phone out there. Also, but then under $200 for a 90 hertz phone. I'm not kind of surprised. I mean, a lot of the cheaper phone brands in these days like Infinix and Techno, but those are Infinix and Techno mind. This is OnePlus, but Infinix and Techno, they're adding 90 hertz displays to their phones. Like it's now coming down dr now it's not a matter of high-end phones having ni high refresh rates. Now every phone out there is coming out with high refresh rates out of the gate, which has been bananas if you ask me kind of. But I'm actually very surprised that the N 100, a very cheap smartphone, comes at a very fast display, sort of. Um, now, obviously, if you're going to use a 90Hz display, you will have a bit of a hit on performance. 
It'll take a little bit longer for apps to load, obviously. Battery could be a big, big, I'm sorry, battery. Uh, the battery could take a big, big hit. So, I mean, please use it. You're very welcome. It now looks like every OnePlus phone has a 90 hertz display out of the gate. I could do 90 hertz, pretty much. That's not bad, man. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm sure that, uh, um, I mean, uh, I'm sure that they thought about it, but they don't want to make it so slow that people like this is a horrible phone not worth the money but they but now it looks like they've given i don't know if they retracted this option but i feel like they've given it given the option um so uh but actually more crazy is the fact that oneplus said it was 60 hertz but then kind of was like no i'm sorry it was 90 hertz i mean they should have clearly explained it to people from the get-go who knows it could have gotten more publicity than than needed um this is bananas. I mean, now, as for context, A53 from Oppo has a 90 hertz IPS display and costs uh, and starts roughly, and you can buy it on AliExpress for $226. So they might have reused that phone and then selling it at a lower price. Or maybe they've gotten a lower price and then they just sell it to people at a lower price than usual, which is, again, insane. But... It's crazy, man. I mean, an N100 with a 90 hertz display, but I will tell you, it's kind of nice. But the processor is not looks doesn't look capable of doing it. It could take a big, big hit in battery life and all that good stuff. So, I mean, if you got if you if you got the N100 and that's lovely, uh, bless you. But um, just use it, bearing in mind that the overall CPU could take a good hit on performance, and it could take a little longer to load apps and run apps and games could take a hit and and battery life could be a big problem because that's what's stopping high refresh you know the thing this is the thing that's what's stopping high refresh rate displays from becoming mainstream or every phone having a 90 hertz 120 hertz display we'd love to have it it makes it butter smooth but the battery takes a massive massive heat good lord and battery is the bigger problem because you know the screen has to just run much faster it has to pump out more frames and so a battery takes a hit, even though, I mean, it's taken a good hit on the battery. So this is exactly why Apple didn't roll out even a faster, higher refresh rate display on the iPhone 12. They just went with the 5G. And I think 5G even brought a dramatic battery drop, uh, significant, slightly significant battery drop. So really, that's iPhones, mind you. What about Android? At least Android has some you know, optimizations in the back, they can cut out some, but that's with raw horsepower, so that's kind of a problem, uh, but it's kind of shocking, um, they should have told us early on, I mean, OnePlus, we, we expect better stuff from you guys, you know, better messaging from y'all, I mean, um, I mean, you all need to surprise us and give us good value, I mean, you've done it in the 8T, put a 65 watt fast charger, power delivery usb power delivery mind you at a time when others are just ditching wall chargers big brands are doing it but you all should have told us it has a high refresh rate at least or maybe you don't want to disappoint us or be like oh god pubg mobile takes like five minutes to load up because of this because of, because the phone just has some crazy specs who knows that could be the case but uh yeah shocker shocker that's it it, it has a fluid display that's that's insane moving on to samsung uh samsung we are we've talked about them before already a lot on the on the previous episode of everything to do with samsung we kind of talked about how the note 30 may not actually happen this next year 
the S30 will come out next early next year, but the Note 30 will not really be happening because of the Z series of phones. We've got another inch of news about the Z series of phones, this time about the Z Fold 3. Apparently, from, uh, apparently uh, based on information from, from Korean publication ET News, uh, let's see, what, what do they have here? Uh, apparently, the, the Galaxy Fold 3 could be the first to have a under-display camera tech. Um, so, I'll probably read the Korean story, I'll probably read the story straight from the source here. Uh, Samsung's promoting the installation of an under, this is translated from Korean, so it's going to be a bit funny. Samsung Electronics is promoting the installation of an under-display camera in the next foldable phone. UDC is a technology that make that makes the camera invisible from the outs from outside, with placing a camera under display. So it's kind of a basic description of the word ultra under-display camera. So uh, kind of going on and on about how good it is, and you know how it has. We've had punch holes and stuff, and now there's going to be a going to be this under-display camera, and uh, and uh, kind of showing what. Um, the original its previous folds and how they had like this hole right there um so um it is known that samsung is planning to commercialize udc with a combination of camera d display and camera technology placing the camera behind the screen causes this display to interfere the camera shooting this is because the light that must enter the lens may be refracted or the amount of light dropped due to the display it is reported that samsung electronics is trying to solve this problem with a special display design a industry uh, officials familiar with the development situation said, I know the display is designed so that only the part where the camera is placed is enlarged to secure the aperture ratio and take pictures smoothly. In short, it is the concept that only the camera part has a path through which light can pass smoothly so that there is no difficulty in shooting. Samsung Electronics is currently developing, Samsung basically, is, is currently developing in, a direction of in the direction of implementing the final under-display camera by applying an image sensor and image correction algorithm. They're putting a bit of work on that. So, um, it's kind of interesting. Um, oh, that's weird. Wait, there's a... Oh, shoot. So, apparently, according to these folks, um, so, I kind of explained the whole story already from the translation, but, um, Samsung's next foldable, the Galaxy Fold 3, that will probably be coming out soon. Maybe the will probably be the first to come with an under-display camera, um, and that's unique, and that no one else has quite done done it quite in the way that Samsung has done. I mean, ZTE has come out with the Axon 25G. We've talked a whole lot about it, really, but um, um, but um, quite literally, Samsung is obviously going to bring their own take with the Galaxy Fold 3. Uh, but obviously, they have kind of explained perfectly explained the problem with bringing under display camera under display camera for a folding phone. Obviously, it's not about putting it on in the between the uh, between where they put on the phone, but more like, but really, literally, quite figuratively, more like the display itself because it will just butt into the camera camera. But the interesting part is that obviously AMOLED displays if there's a black area completely. Uh, then it just switches those pixels off, but then how does the camera pick up a picture in between the pixels? That's kind of an interesting problem. It's it's quite a unique, novel problem that we probably, uh, probably I mean, we kind of complain that, the, that we haven't seen phones with cameras that are literally just, they've gone straight into the display, quite literally. 
beneath the display but th there are a lot of problems we just don't see right there in person when the probably folks who do uh you know sort of r&d work and they probably realize these problems before reusers probably experience it so i think it makes sense that this what's taking them a whole while is really little problems like especially the this basically the sensor able to get light basically capture light basically between a display um uh, so um but it's interesting how uh, they've reported that some of the, their source claims that uh, the display Samsung is going to be using is pretty special to the point that where the camera is placed, there's a slight sort of uh, it's 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 in a way where the where where the camera can still see through the display. It'll take a while for a, for a phone to come with a camera that can literally see through the display completely, and you know it'd be kind of creepy and fun and quite futuristic. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's just straight up in the future, pretty much, I mean, to say the least, I mean, this is stuff from the future, I mean, and it's happening really quickly. We, I mean, already in the last episode, we kind of brought on the point how they're ditching the note for the Z-series phones and the Fold, I mean, we've, we've, so, I mean, it looks obvious with their strategy increasingly that the Fold will be the sort of the main pre ultra premium flagship from Samsung. Really the bleeding edge of the the most bleeding edge technology from Samsung is is in the fold and the fold three will be just that. So under display camera is quite ultra high end tech. And then the flip uh three I think or the flip two, the flip the Z flip and the Z flip S C will probably be a more mainstream foldable because it's a flip phone and flip phones are quite have a quite an quite a appeal to have a quite a broad appeal to customers if you ask me kind of like people love flip phones and I think when the Z flip came out I mean I did kind of get some sort of curious questions from my relatives and friends around about this kind of uh, flip phone that folds out that the display kind of folds it's qu it's a quite big fascination Folding foldables in their truest sense, kind of phones with curved with displays that bend always completely in whatever direction are quite premium and don't have much mainstream appeal yet, but ha are quite a quite a curious little device that I think people have a lot of imagination for. They're like, it looks uh, look it 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 has a lot of razzle and dazzle. Um, I mean probably the Z Flip SE will probably be a more tone heavily toned down Z Flip from the looks of it. And uh, probably be targeting the S twenty FE crowd. It'll probably be like a nine hundred dollar flip phone or eight eight nine hundred dollar flip phone. It probably that'll be that that foldable that'll come down in price. It'll probably try to beat the Motorola Razor out of the picture completely. Motorola Razor is there now, but uh, and it has mid range specs for around a thousand dollars, way less than that kind of. But Samsung could absolutely shatter Motorola out of the picture with with the Z Flip SE. I think that's the target market. So, three foldables in 2021. What a what a what a way to kick off 20. What a way to do 2021 a bang. Hopefully at 2021. Hopefully the next coming year, probably where everything will be great and hopefully uh, a lot of good things will happen in 2021. Probably the world will be f back back up to full speed, better than what it was before, and hopefully um, a whole lot of good stuff instead of some uh, super duper wacky. You know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, super wacky, super wacky-dacky thing that's completely 
shattered the world apart and has kind of uh, made us or do the kind of things we didn't really think about doing, you know, put stuff on and save ourselves and, you know, hopefully, and we've heard news about, I mean, obviously COVID, you know, like, but obviously we've heard vaccines have already come out, proven effective. Now it's, now the challenge is obviously, as for context, a COVID vaccine, especially, uh, so ones from Moderna and Pfizer, BioNTech sort of joint venture, they claim, uh, I don't know which one was it, I'm sure it was BioNTech. Uh, let me, let me just verify this real quick. So, um, just kind of uh, for context, the the jointly made, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine that is jointly made by Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, obviously it's a RNA, it's an RNA kind of vaccine, uh, and all that, uh, but uh, Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine is ninety percent effective, and uh, it's obviously stored at minus thirty five degrees Celsius. Essentially, needed in a apparently Pfizer has developed uh, very cold containers, uh, cold storage containers with a lot of dry ice, and it has temperature controls and everything in it. So the vaccines are stored in that, and you basically take it out and uh, offer those. So, for context. Uh, the 90% effective Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine requires two injections, 21 days apart, roughly three weeks apart. So obviously, if you get, so God forbid, if you got the Rona or coronavirus, uh, you obviously get this first injection. Then obviously, it slightly gets better. Then, uh, 21 days after that, sort of, you get another one. And uh, the thing is, you just get better with it, and that's why everyone's like, you know, we need vaccines soon enough. This, the, obviously, this information is from the BBC, obviously, and uh, yes, your boy obviously had to verify and check this because uh, fake news is a real phenomena, and, uh, you know, we got to stop that early on. Oh, well, so, um, uh, now that's Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine, so, um, so, uh, you know, essentially, uh, it's going to be stored like deep in dry ice and stuff and ideas that you essentially have to uh, you sort of take it out and use it and obviously now and then obviously the ma the the so the per very scientist behind it i mean he's kind of a hero in this regard in record time they put together a little vaccine then tested it out heavily i mean in what is a very uh, rough world of medicine where you know essentially have to get everything sorted and researched before you roll it out to the general public and you did in record time it still took a while i mean i don't want to be annoying i don't want to be complain i don't want to be complaining here i mean this is actually faster than way faster than usual especially for the medical world everyone's like yeah this is very fast i mean they had this got to do it now um so um essentially that's that <laughs> that's kind of that but they're able to, uh, he was like, uh, the vaccine's going to be out. Uh, we'll have a normal, completely normal winter. We're going to have, we'll probably uh, have a completely normal winter next year. By next winter, we'll be back up to full speed. Now, that's him. Now that's that's his thinking. And I'll tell you, it might be right or wrong. Hopefully, this is, hopefully it is better than, uh, hopefully, a lot. Uh, let's hope for the best, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying. Hopefully, It'll, this next year will be much much better than usual. Um, uh, I mean, it's gonna be a while, uh, but uh, we're going coming back up to full speed. But that's that really. Um, I mean, so yeah. I mean, that was 
that's the full three. Hopefully, the Z series of phones do come out in good time when everything is back to normal. It would make sense to buy a foldable when you can go out more regularly and travel more regularly. You'd need that uh, phone that can flip out into a bigger display. Hopefully, the flip uh, three or the flip two kind of has this kind of display has a little bigger display from on the outer side. That would be helpful. Um, that'd be lovely, mind you. So yeah. Uh, this, these next two stories, I mean, we're almost kind of done, but, like, these next two bits are interesting, really. Uh, St Google Stadia and GeForce Now have both announced that they're coming back to iOS and they'll be available as a web app. Now, I don't have to explain to you what's really hap what's really up with, uh, with game streaming services and Apple. Apple's kind of been, I uh, have kind of realized that game streaming was a bit akin to a full-blown gaming experience that is completely... Uh, independent of say uh, of uh, iOS and all that kind of stuff, and so um, essentially, uh, you know, folks, um, folks can just like go. Essentially, mean people can just cut into iOS games and kind of skip iOS games and go straight to streaming and all that kind of stuff. And so that kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of Apple. It could cannibalize Apple's and Apple. So let's face it, Apple kind of is neck and neck competing with. Uh, with game with various players, um, in terms of, um, with Apple Arcade and stuff. Now that's Apple Arcade, mind you. So um, that's that really. Um, so um, um, so basically, how it's gone is that uh, uh, Nvidia's GeForce Now and Google Stadia. Uh, both are going to be available on, uh, so basically, uh, obviously Apple is competing with various players really, it has Apple Arcade and stuff, and so essentially game streaming is kind of like a substitute to proper gaming on iOS, and so it's kind of contravening Apple's control of the App Store and stuff, and so they've kind of blocked out game streaming apps. They've kind of allowed it, but obviously they've kind of made very specific kind of rules like the games need to be actual apps dedicated. Uh, obviously, there could be the ga game itself could be streaming in the cloud, but it's got to be a whole app of itself. Now, EA can do that, Ubisoft. That would not be a problem for those companies, but for platforms like basically, it's like tell it's essentially game streaming is is no more different than typical music or video streaming. You're it's essentially an app, and it's like a window to a library of content that's sitting in a data center, and you access it. It's weird, isn't it? If if Apple did the same requirement for music and video streaming, where if if it told Spotify, if you wanted to, I don't know, if you wanted to stream uh, Taylor Swift's album, a folklore, you have to give, you have to offer people a folklore app. Yeah, I definitely see why Xbox is angry at Apple. But now, obviously, now obviously, uh, GeForce Now and uh, Stadia have kind of got able to get around it comfortably by uh, by offering the iOS users both services but you have to use a you have to use a the, the safari browser which is not a problem really but um i mean uh, so um i mean uh, so uh, they've kind of created uh sorts of web apps apparently how it is is that uh, first amazon i mean amazon's launching their own game streaming service too primarily and they claimed that they were able to create a progressive web app, allowing people on iOS and other devices, kind of iOS primarily, uh, to play 
their streaming stuff on the streaming service, which is interesting. Now, for me, I'm honestly, and I understand streaming audio or video uh, over on a web app on Safari, YouTube. If you, a lot of you watch YouTube without the YouTube app, you go, you watch it in the browser app, ver, brow, on the mobile web version of YouTube, sort of. You go to YouTube.com, it opens up. Normally, you don't jump to an app, and then you hit play. But the thing is, there's a player in the back, and you know their code and stuff in it. So that's that with uh, video or music streaming. Really, just to start playing the background. Really, there's a player. But game streaming is interesting because you have to then send control. It's quite, it's quite ambitious, or it's kind of crazy that Google and and NVIDIA have to go through so much to get uh, their services working on iOS to the point that they have to build a whole website. But then it kind of, but also, interestingly, this actually reminds me of something a little sinister. Um, you know, like, I think of Steve Jobs. I mean, something kind of inappropriate. Uh, like, uh, the, I think the iPhone started to come out, more of them. And then Steve Jobs was like, we don't run Flash and it'll be HTML5. But also, the App Store kind of came out and uh, Apple's quite strict with the content policy. So they don't allow any any porn apps or or, or, or or sites of that nature. You know what I'm talking about. And so those websites, in return, ran out and uh, revamped the websites, built a mobile version, enabled HTML5 players on it. And now, obviously... Uh, they I mean, all have it, and that's kind of gross, but okay. But uh, a lot of other streaming services and companies have also have upgraded the website to switch to HTML5. Those that offer a web version of their app and expect people to use a mobile web version of their services. Uh, that that reminds me of that one. And that's quite quite raw, but okay. But um, game, it's kind of interesting. So essentially. Both GeForce Now and State will be available on iOS through Safari. It will basically be as a progressive web app. So when you open the website, then you basically go straight to, uh, straight jump straight. You log in and jump straight to the service and start accessing it right away. Um, now, uh, essentially, Stadia, um, essentially, state. So apparently. Uh, with Stadia, they're going to obviously start offering this function within the next few. They're going to do some testing in the next next couple of weeks. Uh, so people who probably uh, those who probably they'll probably beta it, and then obviously down the road when um, when when it's perfect, then they can allow people to start uh, streaming games directly, sort of from a web page it's kind of crazy but if if it works for ios then might work for computers and also it kind of makes a ton of sense of a day able to get it working on a safari on the iphone then it could work on safari and chrome on i on windows and mac os because both now have arm chips it's kind of interesting so uh also for geforce now they're claiming that they also today they're launching this function in beta now it's c so um uh, and also with GeForce now, you'd have to have a gamepad ready and connected so you can jump in and play. And it will send uh, controller data, controller map, controller sort of, uh, you know, but uh, you know, controller presses and 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 response over the internet. And you know, video will come back and return. So I'm sure this is how they're doing it. It's a two-way solution. They obviously get using. Per Peripheral control, they obviously taking control from a peripheral or taking instructions. Uh, peripheral is like giving instructions, and then obviously a video and audio is coming back in return. 
So re the real upload is controller data and obviously video and audio and obviously it's all about the refresh rate. So I mean game streaming is not that hard, but obviously it really is the early days for these services. So um yeah, it's kind of cool that um, these services are finding a way. If there's a will, there's a way, really, with these products. So that's interesting. I mean, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Stadia and GeForce Now is going to hit iOS, and you're just able to play it in the browser, which is interesting. And then the beautiful part is that then, you know, newer MacBooks and Windows laptops can also do it. Cause, and Chromebooks. I kind of realized that Chromebooks don't have Intel CPUs mostly. A lot of them are on ARM chips too. And so if it's working for them there, then it's going to work on iOS without a problem. And iPads are fast enough. So that's quite fascinating, to say the least. All right, I might probably stretch this a bit, but um, Wonder Woman squares off against Maxwell Lord Nichita, a villainess who possesses human hu superhuman strength and agility. Will Wonder Woman ta be save the day? Find out. Wonder Woman, December 25th, in cinemas and on HBO Max. And that's what's exactly happening. The The new Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, will be dropping, will be releasing in the United States of America uh, on December, on Christmas Day, basically, on December 25th, uh, both in cinemas, uh, in theaters, uh, as this American English, I will probably say, in, in theaters, and on HBO Max, now the most shocking part is that the movie is going to be getting a streaming and theatrical release at the same time. And a pretty big uh, tentpole release, like Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman movie, which is cra crazy. Uh, and obviously, in the rest of the world where cinemas are kind of still open, uh, it'll premiere on December 16th. So m major markets on the world where cinemas have reopened and life has resumed back to normal. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 will release on December 16th, but in the but in in good old U.S. in good old America, you're able to watch it on HBO Max on December 25th, and see it in cinemas if you want to really if a theater is open near nearby. If you're really in the middle of nowhere, go watch it on HBO Max. And now the interesting part is that. Um, is that uh, the movie is going to be basically this has only been possible because of an interesting arrangement that hasn't happened with certain movies yet, and that is that uh, the movie is going to release in the U.S. It will open in in, in theaters in the U.S. on December twenty fifth. Also, it'll get an HBO Max premiere. It will premiere on HBO Max on the same day, but uh, it'll be available on the server. It'll be available on HBO Max for one month, uh, so from December twenty fifth to say January twenty fifth. Uh, and then it'll leave the service, and uh, be um, and I don't know what else was written here. Essentially, it is simply written here, uh, and then it'll, then it'll obviously be in cinemas, and then it'll be released on uh, on on digital rental services, and obviously it'll get a Blu-ray release, and afterwards it'll drop on HBO Max later on. So um, yeah, I mean, if you really live in a place where uh, there's no cinema really or if you can't go there theater you don't want to you I mean, a lot of people probably be at home mostly for Christmas you're gonna watch on HBO Max I mean the service will probably be I think I think Warner Media took this quite smartly uh, because on top of that Disney Disney mind you um, have um, uh, Disney is releasing its latest Pixar movie Soul uh, on December 25th and as but the thing difference is that is it did they're giving it a straight to Disney Plus release, compared to compared to obviously other studios. Some are just 
taking it slowly and either delaying releases or obviously giving them a bit of a limited release or they're trying to get a theatrical release at least or some have just jumped the releases straight to streaming services and obviously digital rental windows before they obviously put them on streaming services where people can watch them later but as I said the difference really is that um, and what Warren is doing is quite interesting is that they're dropping it both uh, they're giving it both a theatrical and cinematic release uh, and streaming release but I think obviously the movie will probably be a big hit uh, with a lot of people I mean on HBO Max I think that I think come my words Soul will probably drop on Disney Plus and obviously families will go out and watch it but fans especially super fans of superhero movies and you know and, and especially people who probably are into DC comics they'll probably watch it in big numbers I think it'll probably bring a lot of people over to HBO Max because obviously if you think about it most of America a significant proportion of the US major p cities like New York and Los Angeles over there they still haven't allowed theaters to reopen completely uh, up, back up to full speed um, then um, probably I mean HBO Max will probably be quite quite popular uh, probably during so the holiday season towards the end of the year and some of the beginning of 2021 it'll probably bring a lot of traffic over to such a big name service and they put a lot of money into this streaming service so they'll probably have to get some uh, and also for Warner Media they're probably betting a lot of money on HBO Max they gotta get it get this to work they've um, they really I mean a lot has gone into making this service happen they've bought a lot of content I mean they can't just sit empty-handed they can't just be like we're not gonna br I mean we we could bring we could just bring our movies straight to the service but I mean, I'm sure they had that kind of uh, kind of uh, shaky thought process behind Tenet. Tenet hasn't gone to HBO Max straight away. They took it through a full theatrical release, but it didn't bring that much uh, traffic or interest. And so, you know, they you know they kept it on in theaters, and then now they're releasing it on Blu-ray and stuff in December, and it'll soon be available probably by January. So, uh, but I think it's interesting, especially with Wonder Woman, it's more to do with DC sort of, they got to really, if you think about, I've, I, you know, Disney Plus and, and Adrian Max are really two equally rivaling services, both have big, both are pretty big premium services, both have equally same amounts of support, both have quite iconic set of IP and brands attached to it, I mean, um, Disney has its main Walt Disney Film Studio, I mean, twenty first, the twenty first century, uh, the twentieth century Fox Film Studio. I mean, Marvel, Pic Pixar, Marvel, and uh, and Star Wars attached to it, along with obviously stuff from twentieth century Fox, and then HBO Max essentially brings everything from Warner Brothers and obviously Turner, all in one place, and sort of so it's kind of kind of like a hub of sort of a house, pretty much the main hub uh, for all, for stuff from all those IPs, sort of so. I think this is a little, I think they're trying to sort of beat the competition and sort of claim, sort of, and probably be dominant. So, yeah, I mean, uh, also it's also interesting that this is happening in the U.S. Obviously, right now, HBO Max is not really available outside of the U.S. at the moment. They're yet to expand to Latin America, uh, they're yet to expand to South America and Asia and other, and probably Eastern Europe and stuff where they probably have a direct presence in the market over there and have a strong uh, base of consumers, sort of. I mean, uh, it's gonna take it's gonna take Warner Media a long time to expand uh, their service outside of the U.S. I mean, uh, until then, Disney will probably be winning the streaming wars compared to anyone in Tinseltown, really. If you, 
But I think it's it, but it really is significant uh, that uh, something like Wonder Woman ninety eighty four is probably going to be uh, is going to get a simultaneous release. Um, is this nobody saw it coming? I'd say. I mean, uh, this probably is the way it should be going. That if you have the choice, if uh, you really are far away from cinema or the or one is not really open next to you or you know whatever circumstance, you should be able to watch it. You should be able to rent it and watch it at home. You should get a home in home release. You should be able to stream it on some service or pay twenty, thirty bucks for it and watch it in person. I think going forward, I mean, uh, I I can't really exactly predict, be bold and predict that. Oh well, uh, cinemas will probably not be a big part of Hollywood. You know, they'll put more emphasis on trying to put the movie, uh, give it a quick rental, really, uh, really a same day. A rental and streaming release so they'll do that uh, they're gonna go straight on it i mean um but the thing is they're putting more it looks obvious now that hollywood studios are putting more effort on streaming pretty much and so they're able to make such a quick decision to bring really oh i mean someone like i mean like warner they're basically taking their what is really their tentpole flag superhero movie uh straight over to to something uh, recently, primary new to a sort of a newly launched streaming service that's yet to break in and really uh, captivate audiences. So um, it's quite fascinating what's happening here. It's uh, quite a dramatic development. I mean, uh, if you're in the U.S., obviously, I mean it's fifteen bucks a month, so it, there's no harm in trying it. I mean, and there's a probably a a one seven day free trial. So do sign up when you're when probably at home and for the holidays and watch it <laughs> that's that's the smart part of it and the consumers really win in that so because you're, if you're stuck at home and and you've either bought a new tv or bought something new you can at least log in and watch the movie part of a trial so that's fun so that was the podcast um uh as always thanks for listening uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you are wherever you listen to podcasts right now where you're listening right now subscribe follow me on instagram and twitter at saidmoment underscore 99 and that's been all your gadget talking and I'll see you on Tuesday next week. Till Tuesday, uh, keep smiling. And remember, uh, there's more to life than just sitting around and binge-watching Netflix and listening to podcasts, okay? Ciao. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.